Follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. This is Brad with Matt. Yes, <laughs> and I'm doing good. Yeah, I am doing well as well. So um, before we get into this week's show, so um, Shad is not with us this week because he is dealing with some family issues. Uh, we do not actually know when he's going to be back. We think he'll be back in a couple weeks. But if you're listening to the show, don't be surprised if he's not here for a couple episodes. Um yeah, we uh we do hope that in a couple of weeks he's gonna be back. Uh, but we it's unclear. Like he won't he's not gone forever. He's no. just you know he's dealing with some stuff. So, you know, we we are we're in constant communication with him, so he'll let us know. Yeah, it's 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 um it's it is what it is. We're gonna just go about business as usual. We have a couple of things planned that we're saving for when he gets back anyway. Mm. Namely, uh, Spring Stampede '99 is probably the first thing we're gonna do when he gets back. So mm. um, keep that on the horizon. We have some other longer form projects we're talking about doing. Mm. So, uh, but before we get into uh, today's topic. So, um, Collar and Elbow is our sponsor. They make nice wrestling shirts. Promo code is Four Corners Podcast. I think that gets you 10% off your order, and you can put that on sales, which is actually, and uh, I think it works on the, um, do they still do like the, like when they clearance stuff? Clearance stuff? Uh, they do, but it's been kind of like in a state of flux, kind of, like, because they've, I don't know what, What's going on like i think chad has said like they're kind of like maybe they got bought out by someplace um but they've been they they kind of removed products but now they've been slowly adding them back so that's actually like a positive like yeah. now they're, they're bringing the the content back both in terms of like old t-shirt designs i actually think they have one or two that i've never seen before so i think they're adding new content too and like new, new t-shirts I like their um the retro ones like the ones I have that I really like are the world class logo the the all Japan <laughs> one I think I mm. have mid south I stained the mid south one like the I, I know they're like a, they're and kind the of wrestling illustrated one I got at the con last year uh, the I know they're a sponsor so it's like it's a cheap plug for them but I was actually wearing the all Japan one the other day and halfway <laughs> through the day I paused and I'm like damn this is like a good shirt because it's like really it's like really soft cotton and it's like really uh good quality yeah and i didn't pay i think with the promo code it's like it was like maybe 20 bucks it wasn't more than 25 and it's like the the quality of cotton that you usually if you're ordering from like pro wrestling tees you have to pay extra to get yeah like I the know. nice cotton at least pro wrestling tees has that like anything wwe sends these days is like burlap sap sack quality yeah, here's some stiff cotton for you 
yeah, to suffer through. Because I remember you got us that like Becky Lynch one a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and I'm like, man, this shirt just sucks. Like compared yeah, to you... my New Day one I had of them riding like the unicorn. Uh, I mean, I've talked about it before. Like they've they have really like gone down in terms of like uh, both designs and kind of quality. They've they've really gotten on the cheap. Yeah. With some of that. I sadly, the, the, the batch of pro wrestling tees I bought last year, I've lost. So I've lost like 50 pounds this year and I, they're too big now. <laughs> That's a good problem to have. Yeah, kind I of, know. But I, I do understand like it's kind of like kind of complicated when you have to start like buying new clothes. Yeah, I, I'm getting all that COVID lockdown weight off. That was pro- that's that was partly why I decided to like lose weight uh, from earlier this year. I got a, I got a, got a little bit pudgy, and my clothes started to like not fit well. I'm like, oh hell no, I can't <laughs> I can't get an entirely new wardrobe of clothes. Yeah, so I got I, um, I got to nip this in the bud. I did a little worse than that, but I've gotten about half off of what I've gained. So um, on that's my good. way there. Uh, Dropped about four pant sizes, uh, a shirt size. So, and I'm back down to like, I'd be okay with where I'm at. Like, I'm still a little too pudgy, but it's not what I was. So, it's been a long road this year, but I've done pretty well. Yeah, it's a I process. Think, but I think about everyone I know during COVID either got like ripped or gained 120 pounds. Hmm. That's about what I've seen with uh, my social circles. Uh, I don't. I don't think I know anyone who like gained a lot. At least in my personal life, I, I could probably think about people that I know who live in other places that mm-hmm. I keep in contact with. They probably have gained some. It's been a, it's been a tough couple years. So yeah. Then, um, well, because most that... everyone's like just working from home or. Yeah at home most of the time so it's like it's easy to be sedentary and that's where i got screwed is that first winter on covid like i didn't move at all because i was working from home the winter was kind of a little rough and like i didn't even have like walking around the office to like keep me kind of going and then i started like walking the dog in the spring and we were it took us a month like of just walking like a couple times a week to even get like even remotely in shape yeah, I, I started to go stir crazy. Uh, so I would just like take, I would just go for walks. Like, and our daughter had it born like just then. So it's like I would just take a walk with her. Or nowadays, I just like walk around the neighborhood or I, or I run during the neighborhood, like during my lunch break. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's like I just go stir crazy. Like, I actually, COVID hasn't been unkind to me in the sense that it's like I'd much rather work from home than yeah, go into same. the office. Um, but I do get like a little stir crazy just being at home. Uh, even though I like the working there, I like to be actually be, be able to go out and do stuff. And I don't need to be like constantly doing stuff. It is nice to like leave these four walls yeah. and at least like go for a run or walk around the neighborhood. So that's at least fun. So I, I would do that. And that kind of gets you outside working through things. I have a giant yard now. So um, the backyard is a good get the stir crazy out mm-hmm. so anyway our other shout out uh matt uh orlando cologne um orlando cologne uh i don't know that he's been in too many cage matches but i'm sure that he would do great if he was in more of them 
Uh, Puerto Rico likes their cage matches, so I bet he's been. Puerto Rico likes violence sometimes. Yeah, because they did like I think um, I think uh, Carlos Colon and um, Stan Hansen had like a barbed wire cage match at one point. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I've 80s Puerto Rico is kind of something I've wanted to get into, especially now that a lot of that footage is uh is kind of showing up on YouTube. Because there's a lot of, you know, like Terry Funk's there sometimes, you know, Stan Hansen, some other guys. So I'm kind of interested in it. But I would be interested in that, yeah. That is a nice segue. So last week we, we discussed the masterpiece of a build to Final Conflict 1983. Mm-hmm. And today we are going to be talking about the event itself. So this is Greensboro, South Carolina. Is it, was it North Carolina or South Carolina? Because they both have... Greensboro. Wow. Okay. Uh, I thought it was South Carolina, but okay. I could be wrong on that. I didn't know there was actually two Greensboros. I, I think there is, because I get screwed up when I do my fantasy booking sometimes. So anyway, this is so let's let's get a couple things out of the way here. So um, people that are that are um, used to the modern product you're gonna think this is a pay-per-view well no this is a house show so when when you when you hear these matches it's it's a five match show and there's pretty much like three squashes and two big matches so so have that in mind if you decide to watch this that it's gonna be not what you expect i just looked it up uh it was at the greensboro coliseum in greensboro north carolina so yeah. I was completely wrong. Yeah, that messes with me too. Yeah. Uh, allegedly, attendance was 16,000. That arena uh, was pretty loud. Yeah, that's probably that's probably accurate. Um, and I didn't actually didn't I didn't do it for last uh, episode, but uh, I do have like a YouTube link for the build to Final Conflict, and I actually have the YouTube link for Final Conflict, so I, I should probably try to to update that on the twitter page when yeah when i post this what annoyed me though about so the one we watched of this on youtube they edited the cage match and they took out like the best spot of the cage match that we'll get to but mm-hmm. I, I found us a link to the unedited cage match which was nice it is available out there so i'm sure i'm sure people like if i don't uh, post it immediately then people can poke around yeah. On YouTube, and it's it's pretty easy to find. If you if you see the hour forty event with Rick Harris as the the thumbnail, the cage match is not in its entirety on that. Yeah, the cage match it, it is available on YouTube by itself, and it should be like a forty two minute video. Yeah. That's the one we watched. Yeah, and um, so so this is obviously just kind of raw footage because you know you get the. You get the ring announcer shilling tickets to like the next event at the box <laughs> yeah. office. Um, they do they do the national anthem, which was kind of weird to watch because oh, yeah. it was really weird because they had uh, they had Gerald Briscoe and Ken, Ken Timms come out and just mm-hmm. stand there in the ring and like for the national anthem. It was kind of weird. Yeah, uh, something about this so. Oh wait, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> it's gonna say what you they did the national anthem. Oh, it's about like it being like a house show. Why was it shot like the way that it was? Because it almost looks like it was shot in a way that they could put this out on video, even though that was like barely a thing at that point. 
in late 83 so or early 83. Probably a lot of these they would shoot for TV so they could show clips on TV. I see. And um, so they probably I, what I'm guessing is and I don't know they because they, pro- they I don't think this came out in video. So they probably they probably shot this for TV and then Cottle and Crockett did commentary for everything so they could cut any piece of it up they wanted to for television. I see. Because it's obvious it's obvious that Crockett and Cottle are doing post like post commentary, like it's cut in. Yes. This me. just the, just talking about the commentary, i I was taken aback by the commentary. Cottle was what? really high energy. It was really weird. Cottle, who I have not said uh, positive things about <laughs> in the entire uh, tenure of this uh, podcast, but I have I actually thought he was he was high energy here. He was good. I would even say he was like pretty pretty good. He's pretty serviceable as the as the guy, the play by play guy. And David Crockett, who I have developed an affection for, as I've said before, because he's usually like high energy and not great as like a color guy but more it's the the appeal of david crockett is like it's like a fan a super fan who is allowed to do commentary on any of the matches that's how he's been in like some of the later uh, jim crockett promotion shows um but not that's great as like uh you kind of enjoy it it's kind of endearing but it's not great in terms of like being a color guy but i actually thought he was decent here he was much more subdued. He was just like a regular guy. Yeah. Kind of. He wasn't the build-up stuff, but Cottle was interesting because he would get excited at the right moments that would like kind of be like right when you're you were getting into it. Like he would mm-hmm. like pick up that tempo. Like it was really weird. Um, it was not the Bob Cottle I'm used to. No. Uh, and I thought it was. I did think it was like well, it's kind of like an old school style because I know that some of the WWE slash wwf like announcers way back in the day like late 70s early 80s would get this way even vince like i heard vince do this sometimes in like those old shows that basically were taped um you know most of the match would not be like flashy per se but it's like they'd be talking and then all of a sudden the guy would do a big move oh my it's like they would raise their voices almost to the point where they're shouting yeah um and then obviously like they would they'd bring it down again but it did kind of add to the drama of it i actually thought it was it's it, it's an old school uh announcing style where it's almost like someone has turned the tv like they crank the knob up on the tv at certain points so it can kind of be like whoa i didn't know that they're gonna start like raising their voice but it is interesting it does kind of add to like the flavor of things well and i thought during the cage match i really loved how they were like no one wants to be in that cage like over and over again Mm -hmm. and then even like at the end when like slaughter and kernodo were leaving they actually gave them props yeah that was interesting that was interesting but i actually thought it was well done but we'll get to that because i i found the way the heels left very interesting because like slaughter there was like no like blame being cast like slaughter took care of his guy helped him out of the ring yeah and they just kind of like actually kind of walked away with their heads held high because they you know it was, it was really interesting yeah but so we're gonna kick this off so this is 
Gerald Briscoe or Jerry Briscoe, as he was known at the time, versus Ken Tim. So this is essentially like a squash match. Basically, I think um, what so I've said before, like early, early 80s NWA or with Mid-Atlantic, basically, which was part of the National Wrestling Alliance. Um, and that's where I always get tripped up because like National Wrestling Alliance was obviously like a thing, but it was kind of like an umbrella so there was i feel like there was a lot of regional territories that were effectively under that umbrella so mid-atlantic was part of it and then was georgia championship wrestling part of that too yep and was florida championship wrestling part of that too okay yeah it's like there's a lot of different like basically regional territories that were big in their region that were technically part of the nwa but they're like they were its own entity Mid-Atlantic was obviously one of them. And I don't really know a lot or have seen a lot of Mid-Atlantic in the early 80s. A lot of the TV is on the network. It's um, interesting. Mm-hmm. I've seen some of it. Uh, We've watched some of it for the show, actually. Yeah. Uh, I guess this, so. my question, because I preface this with saying like, I don't really know a lot, uh, was Ken Tim's like a, a person of note there or was he just basically like a jobber? Jobber. Okay. He was um, he was somebody in some other areas, mm-hmm. but he was never like a star or anything. Because uh, looking at looking at him on Cage Match, like he he had like a a relatively long career. He had like a twenty five year career. I mean, but some I, of those some of those job guys, like I've watched like TV, you know in the late 70s into the early 90s and stuff. And there's job guys like Gerald Finley that you'll see jobbing in Georgia in 1979, and he's still jobbing in WCW in, like, 1991. Mm. So, I mean, some of those guys just do it for a long time. Yeah. Looking at his looking at his career, he did do some stuff in, in EMLL yeah. before it became CMLL. I think he did some uh, stuff in central states too. I think that's where he got some some of his push. Yeah. This stuff's interesting. Some of this stuff is interesting. He was Fabuloso Blondie <laughs> in in CMLL and that's like the early nineties. But he was He's like the Marauder or something. I th- I I'm guessing that was a massive. Some gimmick. of these matches might have been pretty decent in CMLL. It probably would have been interesting because he was going up against guys that had basically become legends. Like he was I see some matches he had. Uh, well, really, it's trios matches, but I see some of his opponents being um, Brasso de Plata. <laughs> nice. Um, Blue Demon Jr. Um, let's see who else. Atlantis. I, I have a I have a real soft spot for Blue Demon Jr. Yeah. Uh, who else? Oh, this one was against... Uh, I see one he had in January 1993 with... Black Magic, a.k.a. Norman Smiley. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I think he probably had... He was probably one of those guys who, like, was a jobber here. Wow, he had a lot of... Oh, he had a lot of matches in CMLL. Most of his career seemed to be in CMLL after after he did Mid-Atlantic. He seemed to be kind of like a jobber, and then they, I think he moved into, like, the, uh, like the tag division and had some matches, and then he moved on to CMLL and did pretty well for himself looks like yes yeah, so this, wow. is, this is a pretty quickie match i'd say it's only a couple minutes and yeah. Briscoe kind of just 
does a lot of mat work. I, I thought Briscoe actually looks pretty good in the stuff he was mm-hmm. doing, like really crisp. Um, yeah. And he gets the win pretty easy because it's a squash match. So then we go mm-hmm. to our next one, which this one I was actually kind of intrigued by because as we were kind of going through this stuff, Rick Harris, a.k.a. Black Bart. Black Bart, yeah. Mike Rotunda were playing job guys as it went. So I was kind of interested to see who would win because it's like, okay, well, who's higher on the totem pole? And um, I thought it was going to be Rotundo, and then he ended up winning. But this match actually frustrated me because it didn't really get any time, and it ended kind of like, what was it, like off of an airplane spin from Rotunda? Yeah, which I think was his finisher at the time, but that's kind of like, it's kind of like a weird move to do a finisher. I always thought the airplane spin was kind of like a weird move. I like I think the- it's. I like when they, like, the guy, like, I, I liked how, like, Italian Stallion would do a Samoan drop off of it, because that made more sense. Yeah. Uh, and this is only, like, a five-minute match, um, but you actually, watching it, it was perfectly fine for five minutes. I would have liked to have seen them get another five minutes, because I think they could have done something good with that. Yeah, if it, this, this is a match that, clearly, if it had more time, if it had, like, ten minutes, like, it probably would have been, like, pretty decent. Like you would, it wouldn't be your match of the night, but you would have walked out of it being like, "Ah, oh, that's an all right match." Yeah, because, like that was kind of fun. Yeah, because you can see Rotunda has a lot of potential here, and mm-hmm. um, Harris is a fairly good worker. Like I wouldn't say he's like some elite world class guy, but like Black Bart has always been a rock solid mid card heel act and worker. Yeah. So the next one we get to uh, was. Johnny Weaver and Jim Nelson versus um, Gene Anderson and Red Dog Lane. Which I had no idea who Red Dog Lane was. Yeah, I got. I went to his. I went to his um, cage match page. Which, looking at it, he he debuted in 1973 and 1983, which is the year that this uh, show was happening. Was his final year. He retired after that. But he looked old as. He looked old. Yeah, I mean, Gene I don't know Anderson how old he is, was. Gene Anderson is old as fuck here too. Yeah, he's pretty old. Uh, uh, this yeah. was not good because this is a lot of old guys in the ring plus Jim Nelson. Yeah, um, Johnny. At least with Johnny Weaver, and and clearly with Jim Nelson, like they were over. Yeah, like well, I mean, when Johnny came... Weaver's like, uh, he's like a local legend essentially yeah and when because of everything going on and probably certainly was helped by the fact that he had turned and helped uh steamboat a young blood like jim nelson was over too like a lot like really over yeah and this was like the first time like the, the crowd really came alive and was like excited to see people yeah so that was fun like they're they're both the faces are like both very over but like nothing happened with this match no it was, it was really bad boring it was like, not good red dog lane was obviously a jobber and i don't know what gene anderson was he seemed like he should be a step above jobber but he wasn't good in this either no so then uh so then we go to our first like what i would call like big match of the night so this is for the mid-atlantic version of the tv title so this is dick slater with gary hart defending the belt against i guess a 
based on what we've seen, like Piper somewhere in a face turn. Yeah, because Piper, uh, like some point in time here, was a heel, and then transitioned into like face. I guess I don't know when that happened. Yeah, I don't either. So, uh, but then Dick Slater is out there with uh, Gary Hart. <laughs> when I saw Gary Hart, I was actually smiled. It's like I was, I glad to see him there. But and then I had to look it up, do some research, and I guess he was part of the of Mid Atlantic and some of that stuff at this time as a manager. But wasn't he also like booking? He was booking somewhere. I thought. No, his world class stint was over by now because. He, yeah, he, he he set all that stuff up in in world class and then mm-hmm. um, did all that stuff leading up to like the cage match, got the territory hot. And um, Fritz, because, you know, he's a fucking scumbag, stiffed him on the payment for that that show where um, Gordy slammed the cage into Carrie's head. Mm-hmm. So he set all that stuff up got the territory hot and then fritz like stiffed him over like a couple grand because that's oh. everything that's everything with world class is fritz like totally tanking his company long term to save a buck here and there yeah uh i haven't listened to all of it but if for those out there hit the laps fan laps fan did like several episodes on world class and it's awful. if you hit he's yeah he's, if you, he is like probably the biggest scumbag in wrestling yeah, if you if you listen to 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 some of those, then it's pretty apparent that 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 Fritz was just like not a good dude. No, but you know what pissed me off about that, and I, I'm sure he got far enough into that because Gary Hart talked about in his book, is that he was only paying his own kids like two hundred and fifty dollars a night, um, and they were drawing the houses. And Gary Hart was like fighting tooth and nail to get them more money, and I'm like, how? Like, fuck you, dude! Like, you're impoverishing your own kids, like on paydays, and they're earning you the money. Like, that's where I really hated him. Yeah, and I mean, uh, Kevin, Kevin's like the only one left at this point, and to still hear him like talk like favorably about his father, and really like credit his father with certain things that it's like you shouldn't credit he didn't do that like you shouldn't credit him that because i've seen some of those uh i guess they're old at this point but some of those wwe stuff he would do like the round table stuff like that and kevin would be like that's my dad my dad created that and it's like no he didn't he didn't all he did was rip you guys off his I own mean, sons i think i think that with someone like kevin and like what he went through you kind of have to give him some forgiveness because i think there's going to be some of that cognitive dissonance because it's either that or like just go like fucking batshit insane because your whole family died so i kind of i kind of i kind of give him a pass on that because i mean i think um i think whatever i think he's had to justify a lot of things in his head to like wake up in the morning so because, like, some of it's awful. Like, what happened to Mike? What happened to Chris? Like, what happened to Mike was really bad. So, um... Yeah. Yeah. So then, um... So this is a... I actually like this match quite a bit. It's actually one of the better in-ring Piper performances I think I've seen. 
this was a pretty good match. Um, Piper, it's because I guess so much of what we have seen in the WWF, uh, Piper, Piper obviously was, he seemed like 90% of the time, he seemed like manic and or coked out. So this is like a more subdued Piper. Like he wasn't crazy. He, but he did come off as like a, a face with some fire to him, yeah, which he was, I like. He's very much more a prototypical baby face in like his comebacks and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought he did a really good performance here. It, he was interesting to watch. This actually was a pretty good match. Slater but, did some weird stuff, though. I thought Slater ate him up a little too much at points. Yeah, I Slater's performance in this kind of distracted me. Like, I felt he did eat him up. And it's other points like Slater's like like overselling a lot. It's like okay, like you don't need to like if Piper hits you, you don't need to like go knobby need like so much. Like it's it's it just started to get weird. Like even stuff that's ostensibly like comedy spots, like when when Piper is like hitting him at the corner and it's like, okay, like Slater like jumps up and like on he's now draped over the the turnbuckle ropes and then Piper hits him and he like flips over and he's on a stump. It's like, it's, it was fine, but it got to be like, I thought got to be a little like overselling. He was too deep into his Terry Funkisms for this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He was trying, he was trying real hard and I didn't, I didn't perceive it didn't work for me. For those, for those of you listening that haven't seen Dick Slater much, he is like a Terry Funk mark and like based his entire like style around Terry Funk. Yeah. So then, uh, so Piper wins the TV title. I looked it up. He doesn't actually keep it for very long. Dick Slater gets it back pretty quick. Um, mm. But this was a good match. This is where I really thought Coddle and Crockett came alive and started adding a lot to it. Yeah. So then we head off to our main event, and this is this is the one we've all been waiting for. Can I can I interrupt really quickly? Yeah. Looking this card up on uh, Cage Match. It, there apparently was, uh, and maybe this has been cut for like time purposes. There was a one-hour draw between Ric Flair and Greg Valentine. Oh, that's interesting. For, oh man, for the in, for the NWA title. They probably the chops in that had to have been crazy. Yeah, that I would actually be really interested in seeing that match. Yeah, because this was the point where it's like. Not that he was dogging it, but definitely like Greg Valentine was like motivated in an early '80s NWA. Well, this is this he... is like six months before that dog collar match at Starcade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this was this this would have been that would probably would have been a good one. So I'm kind of sad we didn't get a chance to see that one in this. Yeah. So then, then um, Steamboat and Youngblood come out, and then um. The the heel world champions uh, Slaughter and Cronodo come out to the Rocky music, which was hilarious. Mm-hmm. And um, the crowd's pretty alive for this. Yeah. So you have like what you think is a cage match, and this one I thought was not what I expected. Like I, I watched it twice because I had to kind of digest some things with it. And I like it, but it it just um they they worked it very differently because so. When they start working this match, they work it very straight for a lot of it. Because what you get is you get, like, they're working a straight match, and then there's, like, a quick burst of, like, violence hitting the cage and, like, some crazy. 
and then it slowly kind of builds and escalates until you get to the end, then where it like just goes. Yeah, it, this one, I had like conflicting thoughts on this because you had the road, like the road to here that we watched last episode. I thought overall it's like brilliant. It's like the best. It's one of the best builds I have seen leading up to a a big match probably ever like it's just fantastic uh the, like there were subtleties there were little things that were done like it's fantastic booking and the way it was executed was really well done and then you have the match here and i it just didn't move me a lot for like 75 percent of the match like I, for 75 percent I liked it better on the rewatch because then like I, I didn't have, I, I kind of knew it was coming. And then I realized like on the rewatch, like, Oh, you know, this is pretty satisfying if you had been sitting through this for months because the, the cage match is essentially, I'd say 85% of it is just steamboat and young blood, just beating slaughter and Cronodal's asses. That's true. Um, but there, there's look, there's, there's psychology to it. So I'm not, taking that away but there was a lot of like headlocks yeah a lot of a lot of headlocks in this which i guess i was going into this thinking because i had never seen this match before but i was going into it thinking that kind of looking at it with a modern day perspective where it's like okay this is going to be like this is a blow off to like the blood feud it's going to be like just crazy balls to the wall crazy oh they had blood Oh, there's blood, but it's like in modern day, something like this. It's like, look, like not that long ago, uh, AEW did the blood and guts match, which that all seems to be leading up to have just been a, a lead up to like a, a Eddie Kingston, Chris Jericho match, which is fine. But that was like just craziness, like throughout basically the entire time. Whereas this was like you had to sit through 75 percent of it to get to that. And they're kind of amping the crowd up for the end, though, because they would, yeah, they would, they'd keep it slow, keep it slow. There'd be a big flurry of like crazy for about 45 seconds, and the crowd would get into it, then they'd bring them back down, yeah, and then there'd be a flurry of crazy again, and then they'd bring them back down, and then the crazy kind of started and didn't stop because, and they cut this out of the, the shorter event, which really pissed me off because it was a crazy spot, and it. And it had a huge impact on the end run of the match. But Slaughter mm. goes to the top and comes off of the cage with a splash and misses. And yeah. he's pretty much done for the match. Oh, he eats it. Yeah. And he's yeah. done. And, and just as just basically, this is more, in my opinion, the argument for Sergeant Slaughter being in like the Hall of Fame. I don't care which Hall of Fame. It could be like the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. It could be the WWE Hall of Fame. Like, I don't know. Maybe he... Is he already in the WWE Hall of Fame? I don't even know. I don't know. Like, he should be in a Hall of Fame because, like, he... I think he's in the WWE Hall of Fame. Okay. Well, he is... He is really, like, criminally underrated, in my opinion, now as a worker. And that's that's from seeing, like, more of his stuff recently. Like, when we did Royal Rumble 91, the stuff last week, this week. It's like, okay, people have slept on Slaughter. And maybe that's because, like, in the last like 25 years they were just growing up as like sergeant slaughter with as like the authority figure for vince mcmahon at points from the attitude era to a little bit later on but slaughter was good he was a good worker and he demonstrates it uh more in this match 
because he does what Slaughter does best. It's like I'm going to make my opponents look like, look like a million bucks by going in there and just bumping like a madman. He pinballing himself off the side of the cage. Yes, taking bumps that it's like you're a big dude, but that I don't know how you, that doesn't hurt. Like yep. you get you try to go for like you know, like you try to slash someone in the corner, they move and it's like you hit them and then you like fly yourself back. Like someone just like hit you with a semi truck. <laughs> he just sells his ass off in this. Yep. And when he, inappropriately appropriately and when he went to the top of the cage like we've watched so much slaughter like you i i was like what are they gonna tease it like no this is slaughter he's going for it like i don't know what he's gonna do but he's coming off of something mm-hmm. and then he went for a splash on steamboat and steamboat moved mm-hmm. and then so there's probably another like three or four minutes after this and all slaughter manages to do because you know he just ate it he gets to his knees and like tries to give a few weak punches but he's just done yeah. Uh, overall, like, again, I, I've talked about how, like, the match is a lot of, like, setup until the last, like, fourth when things started getting crazy. Uh, I felt the match did pick up. I forget if it was, like, three-fourths into the match or two-thirds into the match. When the started bleeding, I felt it really started. Well, before that happened, like, I thought it picked up when they had Slaughter and Jay in there. And, like, Jay kind of, like, missed a move. And then Slaughter basically took him and, like, threw him, like, face first into the cage. Yeah. And then that, after that, like, it was on. Because after that, Jade bleated. Um, and I will say that. Like, it, I guess it, it makes sense if it's, like, a house show. But the, I counted at least, like, at least two or three blade, <laughs> blade jobs. Like, it was, it was pretty obvious to me. And I'm not even someone who's, like, super, super cognizant of that like usually if there's a blade job but it, i feel like modern day camera cuts take away like they 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 do it where it's sufficiently off camera but i would i was seeing guys like carnuto like take a match take a bump and then i could see him like lift his hand his his wrist up to his forearm and then do like a swiping motion i'm like oh he had quite like lately bleeding he might have been low on the muda scale for this match well, uh, because again, if you're counting, paying attention, like he bladed himself probably like two, three times. Yeah, he like was... no joke, at least twice. Yeah, and so the the thing I like too though is when Slaughter's out, they just go all in on Don Cronodal. Mm-hmm. Like they, they like again, this is the no one's stupid. So like Slaughter takes himself out on that splash, and like Steamboat and Youngblood, they're on like they're on Cronodal like a pack of wild animals. Mm-hmm. Like they just go to town on him, and then um, is it Youngblood that gets him in the sleeper? I thought no, I think that was uh, Steamboat because uh, I'm pretty sure Jay is the one who puts on the Cobra Clutch. Okay, so they get them and they get them in holds. Um, they tap, crowd just goes crazy. Yeah. Um, and this is all over tag titles too. That's that's what was kind of blowing me away. Like how yeah. much these belts meant. But what I really like though is is the the humanity like Slaughter and Kernodal had at the end. Like Slaughter's like checking on him, helping him get up, you know, helping him out of the ring. Like the finish you know, the smash. finish was the finish was weird to me because like there is violence and like Sarge is trying to to throw uh Steamboat into the cage. 
uh, and he, he he breaks up like young blood young blood's cobra clutch, mm-hmm. and then he uses like a foreign object to hit young blood, and so you think like oh this is how well we know in, in with history, yeah, like what happened, but you, you think like oh man that's it that's it that's how that's how slaughter and canoodle are gonna steal it, because he puts like uh, the he puts young blood who had been assaulted with the the weapon, and he puts Cornoodle over top of him. And it's like, okay, that's how it is. That's it goes. And then, Steam, like, as soon as he like turns his back, Steamboat like runs in and pulls Young Blood onto Cornoodle, who is just out. Yeah. Not like he's just like done. And then that's when they get the the they get the titles. Then. Yeah. And it was something. I do agree. Like Slaughter, there was some humanity there, which is different i feel like in modern day modern day wwe it's like it or something oh i thought i would have immediately turned <laughs> it would have been like assaulting him saying like, this is all your fault whatever it would have been it would not have been as like it, the the gravitas like it would not have been as good and even like i even like the coddle and crockett were like like there they go like they gave it their all yeah the ending was also interesting too because it's like it i almost had like a riot gonna happen because people were happy, very legitimately happy that Steamboat and uh, um, and Youngblood won the titles, but dudes kept like all of a sudden came up to the cage and were like banging on the cage like, and I'm like, if you're Steamboat Youngblood, like I don't know you maybe you get freaked out because it's just dudes really rushing the cage like banging on the cage like yeah. you don't know what's going on. But it's a it's um I think it's I think it's um. It's a worthwhile match to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, it pays off the angle really well. It's a little weird, like I said. I was a little put off at first because they were just kind of working a straight match, and it's a. I'd say the first ten minutes is a lot of headlock. Yeah. And um, but once it gets going, it really it like it goes. I also do like though, because um, a couple things happened, and I wanna, it does. I want to. I want to compliment Coddle and Crockett again because um, they're always like, well, you know, anything goes. And they would like they would always make sure to like reiterate the stipulations of something that happened outside the bounds of a match. Like outside the bounds of like a, a, a regular yeah. match. They'd be like, well, anything goes. And, you know, they, they reiterated like, you know, no, no one wants to be in the cage. Like they really they set up the gravity of the situation really well. And I thought I thought they were super on point for this um, this match. Yeah, the commentary was good. Like I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah. The other thing I liked about the commentary too, and it's something that Coddle's good about on the TV though, is he's comfortable just shutting up and letting the action speak yeah. for itself. Like he doesn't. Yeah, need, I. He doesn't feel the need to fill like space with words. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it was like a revelation because I have not had um, favorable opinions of. Uh, And this is pretty good. Yeah, so I would say uh, I'm gonna give the event a thumbs up. I would say just watch the Piper match and the Cage match. You can skip the the other stuff. Yeah, the the first three are like just job matches. Yeah, um, essentially. I I would be interested to see like that Ric Flair, Greg Valentine match 
but it's an hour long apparently hour yeah. long draw so i don't know if that means anything like i don't know if it was like a like an hour of just a lot of boring stuff or what i thought it's probably it's probably pretty decent you know flair gives it his all yeah. every night yeah so um is, i'd say that's about it for this one yeah we're um we're we're in the grand scheme of things do these mid-atlantic titles like mean so okay so the, the title situation and it's gonna it's going to go all to hell in about a year and a half because they're going to get the world championship wrestling time mm-hmm. slot and merge with Georgia. And then they're going to have like a whole mess of belts. So essentially the hierarchy is this: mm-hmm. your main singles belt is the NWA United States heavyweight championship. That is the number one singles belt for the territory. I mean, obviously the world champion is the world champion, but we're talking about their week in week out. It's the, the United States title. And then this is the world tag titles. These are exclusive to mid Atlantic. So these are the mid Atlantic version of the NWA world tag team titles. So that would be Mm -hmm. the top tag title. Then you would have the mid Atlantic heavyweight championship as the secondary belt. And then the television title, I think would be under that. I think those could be interchangeable depending on who had it at the time. And then you would also have the mid Atlantic tag team titles under the world tag titles. That's kind of what the mid-Atlantic belt situation looked like. I see. So. Because the mid-Atlantic heavyweight championship was the belt for a long time. And then like around 79, (laughs) they introduced the United States title, I think. It might have been earlier than that. But then that became the top singles belt. But then when Sandy took over. I'm trying to look this. It became the. They. They. They they started making Mid Atlantic more of a, a more singles and tag territory. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I happened. See. So in the in the lineage of things, I'm trying to look this up, and based on some stuff I'm reading, these these titles if they started Mid Atlantic, I guess they became. These are all these all become the WCW belts. Uh, essentially, the WCW. Yeah. The tag titles the become titles specifically become yeah, WCW tag titles. And the United States title becomes the the WCW United United States title. So the I think the WWE one goes back to this now, but I don't know. Um, the TV title I think becomes the TV title for WCW. So yeah, these are the mm-hmm. lineal. If you if you look at a WCW title history, it goes back to this stuff. Yeah. Uh, looking at the lineage too, it's this was kind of weird because they didn't hold the belts long. No. And then they started like weirdly they started feuding and they traded the belts back and forth uh, throughout the end of the the rest of the year with uh, the Briscoes. Yeah. Hmm. Because they only had it for like what like a a couple months after this, and then they lost it. They had it about. Uh, three four months mm. looks like about three know, months i think young blood dies in 85 yes because he starts teaming with his brother mark and then he dies in like late 85 i think yeah i think so that's a real shame yeah what last last week's show and this uh this one showed is that uh, he was good like jay young had like 
some real talent to him. Yeah, he did. It's a real shame. Yeah, it is. Like, he clearly, like, if he had survived, like, he probably would have done, like, a lot of really interesting, like, fun stuff with uh, with Jim Crockett or with the, the NWA. Yeah. Um, he, uh, it looks like, well, see, he was part of, Jay was part of a wrestling family, uh, kind of like the Guerreros. His dad was Ricky Romero, who I've not seen. I've never seen. Yeah, I I not seen his work, but and then he has but, his brother Mark and Chris also. Yes. Also. Uh, hmm. So he, it was interesting because looks like, looks like Ricky Romero, their dad, did some stuff. Oh, he held a, oh yeah, he held the NWA World Tag Team Championship one time with Nick Bockwinkel. Uh, so that that's the other thing about territory wrestling. So the world champion would travel. But most territories had their own version of the the world tag team titles. I see. Yeah. Or or yeah. or or you know, if they came traveling through, they would just bring like two guys in and give them belts and say they were the world tag team champions. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of fudging in those old old wrestling things. Mm-hmm. Like when they talk about Mula being like some women's champion for like 20 years, like she wasn't like actively doing that in a territory. They would bring them in for big shows to defend the women's title. And then it would just be her and like Susan green wrestling. <laughs> like is what is how that would work at the time. Cause even like the, the 79 Memphis I'm watching, like she pops in like for that stuff. If they're doing like a big Monday show, they'll be like, Oh yeah. Fabulous. Mula is defending the women's title against Debbie Combs or something, you know, like that. So that is it for this week. Uh, join us next week. We're going to be talking about, I would say, the golden age of the JRPG. So uh, join us mm-hmm. then. And hopefully we will know when Chad's coming back. But if, if after that, it'll be a TJ Tokyo Joshi Pro Show if, if that's what uh, happens. So join us next week.